0: is risen risen let's try it again he is risen risen all right if he has really risen has he oh man that changes everything right i mean it changes everything did you know christianity is like very unique among world religions we are the only one whose hero, whose founder, whose Lord is not in the grave. I mean, Buddha, a lot of wise sayings, a lot of, you know, groovy stuff. But, uh, you know, you can go to his grave. Muhammad, a lot of people, hundreds of thousands of folks uh, go to his grave site every year to visit him. But he's in his grave. Confucius, you can go to his grave. His bones are there. But you can't go to Jesus' grave and find his bonds there. Matter of fact, Christianity is so unique that if he had not been raised from the dead, then we're just wasting our time in here this morning. But if he did, if he did, it changes everything. You know, when I became a follower of Jesus, nobody told me much of anything other than the great news, and that is that Jesus died For my sins of which I had plenty and wanted to deal with it. And so when someone told me about that and said, Hey, you know, all of your journeys through all these other spiritual roads and all that you were looking at. You know, here, Tim, here's the simplicity of the good news in that Jesus Christ, God's only son, came to this earth, lived a perfect life as a human being and fully as God. Never sinned, never erred, never did one thing wrong. But he went to the cross and he was murdered. He was killed He was slaughtered for your sins because God is perfect and holy and righteous and no sin. Nothing that's impure can come before him. And so there's no way to get back to God, back to your creator, unless God pays the price himself. Because I have to be clothed in some kind of righteousness that I don't have myself. And so Jesus came to pay that price and to reconcile me to my creator. That's awesome news right there, right? Because that's what Easter is about. That's it, Right? Right? Is this a test? You know, it's like, <laughs> that's, what it, and that's great news. And you know what? The Spirit of God pierced my heart and, and wrecked me, and I started the journey, and it's been awesome. But there were so many things to discover after that. Nobody told me for a number of years that there was a preponderance of evidence to support the fact that Jesus wasn't in the tomb. I mean, you know, if you can't find him, I was having a talk with a good atheist friend of mine this past week. He tweeted me, and he says, I think every Friday is good, you know, because he gets <laughs> off of work. And he says, why is this Friday any better, you know, than any other Friday? And, of course, he was being a little facetious. And, uh, and so we started talking, and I said, well, just help me find the body like all the other religions have their heroes. And we got into a discussion. And he said, well, I'm sure the bones have, you know, have dissolved somewhere and all of this. I started doing some studying and reading and found out between... The times of about, uh, let's say, 375 B.C. to about 125 A.D., they have discovered... Now, stick with me. This is a little technical, but this is going to help you, okay? Do you know what an ossuary is? It's a box that they put bones in. Over in the uh, Middle East, that's, they would take the bones of your relatives, and after all the decaying is done, they take because they honor certain people, so they take the bones, put them in a box, an ossuary. And they save them, and they're venerated in some ways in in some situations. Well, they found between, like I said, around 200 and some years B.C. to 125, 150, A.D., 900 ossuaries. 900 with bones in them from that age, from that era. I mean, you would think somebody as important as Jesus. Surely somebody would have saved those bones. There are church historians like Polycarp. I know that's a weird name. Sounds like a fish but his polycarp, uh, born somewhere around about 30 years after Jesus died, around 60, 62 A.D., and uh, he died, uh, you know, around 110 or so, 115. Well, when he died, because he he was a disciple of the apostle John, and they loved him so much, sure enough, they kept his bones in an ossuary. As a matter of fact, the church would gather around his bones and have church services. Uh, he gave his life for Christ. He was not only burnt At the stake, he was stabbed to death as well because he wasn't dying when they burned him, and he was still praising God. And so Polycarp's bones, from that just a few years after Jesus, they had his bones. Now, why don't we have someone as important as Jesus? Wouldn't you think the Romans would have had them if they were there so they could disprove every bit of this? The disciples, you say? The disciples, maybe they hid them? Have you read about these disciples? I mean, have you read the story of these guys? What happened after the crucifixion? Yeah, they were hiding. They're scattered. They're like, they're nowhere to be found. Peter, who draws the sword and slices the priest assistant's ear off when Jesus is arrested. Peter, what does he do, Mr. Bold Apostle Peter? Peter? What does he do? He scrams, he hides, and three times he denies that he even knows Jesus. Wait a minute, that guy is going to find Jesus' body? Really? He's going to go to that tomb? He's scared to death. He's hiding out. All the rest of the disciples have scattered, and we're going to join the story today in John 20, where they are behind closed doors, locked doors, and they are trembling in fear. Let me say this, too, to set this up. There was absolutely no advantage for anyone to say they were a Christian for the first 300 years of the church's existence. There was no benefit. If you owned a business, you were going to be boycotted. You could be arrested. You could be killed, tortured. There was no economic benefit, there was no financial benefit, there was no social benefit, there was no political benefit, there was no benefit to being a follower of Jesus for the first 300 years. What in the world happened to change these cowardly, sniveling, hiding men and women into voracious evangelists? Just a few days later, something happened. Something phenomenal happened. To turn these people to going the exact opposite direction. From fear to faith. From hiding to testifying. What happened? Something big happened. So we're going to take a look in John 20 as we join the disciples there behind closed doors. And uh, this whole series has been about who gets the last word in your life. We have... Looked at Jesus and his last words, how he cried out to God, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? We have listened to him and we have taken away from the cross what we can. And now we come to the other side of the story. When they heard Jesus say it is finished on the cross, many of them said, well, it's over. He said it's finished. He had a different idea about what it's finished meant. Not a single one of the disciples expected him to be killed, much less raised from the dead. None of them. They expected him to lead a rebellion, take over, kick the Romans out, and set up his own kingdom. Nobody expected what was about to happen. So, here we go. Join the disciples. They're locked behind closed doors. We'll read our scripture and I'll pray. Let me me read a quote to you. Uh, This is from William Paley. William Paley's picture hangs right alongside John Milton's and Charles Darwin's uh, at Christ College. And listen to what Paley said. Would men in such circumstances pretend to have seen what they never saw, assert facts that they had no knowledge of, go about lying to teach virtue, and though not only convinced of Christ being an imposter, but having seen the success of this impostor in the crucifixion, yet persist in carrying on, and so persist as to bring upon themselves for nothing and with full knowledge of the consequence, enmity and hatred, danger, and death. Now that's a question to ask. John 20, verses 19, 20, and 26. On the evening of that first day of the week when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Again, Jesus said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. A week later, his disciples were in the house again. And Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Father, bless your word today. Thank you that we can gather, that we can celebrate, that we can worship, and that we can meditate on the powerful resurrection of your son, Jesus. I pray, Lord, that you would in some way bring us alive Today to the fact of the resurrection. For those who have doubts. But are feeling your wooing and your calling to follow you Lord. May those walls of doubt collapse today. As they embrace you. Because you love them. And you are calling them Lord. And you have done a mighty work. On the cross and out of the grave. In order to seal them. And to save them. And to call them. So come and do your good work today. In Jesus name. Amen. Well, three times he says, peace be to you, peace be to you, peace be to you. Do you think he's trying to get the point over to these guys? In your fill-in on the back of your handout, if you want to track along with me, you should have received a pen as well. Uh, your first fill-in is this, and that is that there is peace in the person of Jesus. There is peace in the person of Jesus. These guys are locked behind doors. Because they are afraid. They are scared that someone's going to come and arrest them and take them off. And do the same thing to them that they had done to Jesus. Like I said, they did not expect Jesus to come out of that grave. There was no expectation of that from not one of them. And so suddenly he's there. You know, I I can't help but I mean, the first words are peace, right? I mean, that's Jesus because that's Jesus. That's what Jesus would do. What would you do? You'd probably go, boom. You know, if suddenly you were there. It's like... You know, they think I'm dead, but boom, I'm here, you know. But no, you know, Jesus isn't like us. Jesus isn't like us. Jesus, he knows they're freaking out. They're already afraid. And so his first words, and two times again, are peace be to you. Now, something we miss many times is this is not an apparition. This is not a ghost of Jesus' past This is not some conjuring up and some mist that floats through the doors and comes in and they think they see him. This is the person of Jesus. This is the person of Jesus that Thomas can put his fingers into the holes of. This is the person of Jesus that spoke to Mary Magdalene after the resurrection. Do you remember her, Mary Magdalene? Remember her? She was one of the first ones at the scene, right? Matter of fact. You women, you should be bragging on this at Easter. You guys were the ones there first. God allowed you to be there first to see that he was raised from the dead. Well, Mary is there, and this is in our same story if you just back up a ways. Mary Magdalene is standing at the empty tomb. She has come there to do what should have been done done earlier, and that is to help embalm, to bring the spices and And she's heartbroken that Jesus is dead. And she looks in this huge stone. There's a rut that it would roll into. It was pushed up against uh, the the entrance to the tomb. And then there would be a smaller stone wedged into the side where the bigger stone is to keep it from moving. Uh, The Romans had come in and put a seal on it, put soldiers around it to make sure that no one could get into there and to steal the body. But Mary Magdalene shows up and the tomb is empty. She's heartbroken. She's like, I won't get to treat the body of the man, the one that has meant so much to me in my life. I'm not going to be able to do it now. And it says that two angels ask her, said, why are you crying? <laughs> why are you crying? And about just as quick as they ask Mary that, she catches some movement behind her. And she thinks it's the gardener because the gardener takes care of the tombs. He's picks, you know, all the weeds out, keeps it clean, plants the flowers and all, and she thinks it's the gardener. Well, in a way, she's right. It is the gardener. Remember the Garden of Eden, when everything was right, when we had no sin, when we were, you know, we had a relationship with God when humanity did. Sin had not entered the human race yet. She thinks it's the gardener, and she turns, and who is it? It's Jesus, but she doesn't recognize him until something happens. And what is it? He says this, Mary. Now, that's not a ghost speaking to her. That is the person of Jesus Christ saying her name, and she recognized his voice. It's really important we realize it's the person of Jesus that brings peace. Not a myth, not a legend, that his very body was raised from the grave, came out of that grave, and is speaking to Mary. Now, Mary's got a bit of a history with Jesus. She was a troubled woman at one time. She's a wealthy woman. She actually financed some of Jesus' ministry and the disciples when they were taking the message out. So she was a part of it. But Mary had a troubled life. Matter of fact, the Bible says that she was harassed by seven demons. So she was a troubled woman, and she had... Locked up areas in her own life that she could not get free from. But then she met Jesus. And Jesus, it says, the scripture says, cast those seven demons out of her. And she found peace. She found peace because of the person of Jesus prior to the crucifixion and prior to the resurrection. And she thinks he's gone. It's over. I just want to bury him now. I just want to take care of his body. He changed my life, but it's not over yet. Mary. Some of you may have situations in your life today where, you know what, you just can't get free from it. You're like, I can't get free from this addiction. I can't get free from this, this obsession, this problem I have, this struggle I have, something I have that is beyond my own control. And you need the person of Jesus to touch your life. You need the real resurrected Lord. You know, the only example of what it's going to be like when we are resurrected when we, is Jesus. We don't have another example in the Bible. I mean, if you look at Jesus in his body, and we don't get much, but we know that the disciples, he looked a little different, but they recognized him. So, you know, I take great comfort in that because if there's something you don't like about yourself, maybe God's going to change that. You know, it's like, uh, I want more hair. And it's like, maybe in the kingdom to come, you know, people are going to know Tim. It's like, that looks like Tim, but he's got more hair than he used to. You know, and, but, but, you know, th- that's the example we have. And, and we know that Jesus still ate. He cooked a meal for the disciples on the beach, right? We know he spoke the people he loved, Peter, Mary, John. He spoke their names. He walked. He was able to walk through walls. Cool deal. Uh, so the body is different. The body is different, but it is a body, a resurrected body. It's the person of Jesus That brings peace. Not a legend. Not a myth. Not an apparition. And not a ghost. The very body. The bruised and battered body. Of Jesus Christ. Reconstituted and reclaimed. And renourished and rebirthed. In some glorious way. As an example. That he had conquered death. And the grave. And that is our hope too. That is our hope in eternity. That it's just not some philosophical you know, mumbo-jumbo, but the real body of Jesus was resurrected into eternity. And so will ours. So there's peace. Peace be to you, he says. Peace to you. Peace in the person of Jesus Christ. In John 14, 27, we read this. Peace, this is Jesus, uh, just a few chapters over. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. That is like a locked door. I mean, our peace comes from as much security as we can have, right? Like you got your security alarm on your house. You got as many guns as you can store. You know, you've got alarms on your car. You got tasers, you you know, knives. You got, you know, you're, you're saving money. You're doing everything you can to make life safe. And to give some semblance of peace. And stability to your life. Jesus comes along and says, look, the peace I'm bringing to you is not the peace the world brings. Because all of those things I just mentioned can be taken away from you. All of them. We live in a world full of fear and threat now. But Jesus says the peace I bring you is totally different. It transcends death. Do you get this? It transcends death. There is peace because of Jesus personally, bodily coming out of the grave. His person brings us peace. And a peace that is just, it just opens the doors of fear and allows us to be free. Free to be who God called us to be. Thank you, brother. Simon Ponsambi in his wonderful book, God Inside Out, says this about the early church community. For them, the Spirit was the manifest presence of God the risen Christ as lord in their midst transforming their lives compelling their worship and prayer impelling them to mission your your second fill in is this and that is there is peace in the presence of Jesus in the presence of Jesus there is peace in the person of Jesus the resurrected person of Jesus and there is peace in the presence of Jesus in John 20 and 21 As we read earlier, Jesus said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. So you see, out of the resurrection comes Jesus' ability to be able to give to us his presence. And that is through the Holy Spirit. John 14, chapter 14, John 15, John 16, Jesus tells the disciples over and over and over again. He says, I've got to go to the Father so I can allow the Holy Spirit so he can come and live not just with you like I've been with you, but now he can live in you. And now in this resurrection, the first words to his disciples, peace be to you. As the Father has sent me, I send you, and he breathes on them. That's a picture of the Spirit, same word, breath, Spirit. Breathed on them to receive the Holy Spirit. Because it's the Holy Spirit that will bring peace, the presence of Jesus to your life as you go from this place. As they went from those locked doors out into their world, which was a very antagonistic and violent world to them. We need the presence of Jesus in our lives. We need the peace that the Holy Spirit comes. The Prince of Peace makes himself known in the presence of God. Do you sense the Holy Spirit in your life? Do you need an Easter filling? (laughs) Do you need an Easter feeling, feeling, like a fresh feeling of God's presence in your life this morning to bring the peace of God? Well, it's here. The Holy Spirit is here to do that. To fill you this morning. To bring peace as you've never known it before. Your last fill in is this. Number three here is there is peace in the purpose of Jesus. There is peace in the purpose of Jesus. Look what he said in that John 20. He said, as the Father sent me. He says, peace be to you. Three times. Three times. And then he says, as the Father sent me. I send you, right? We, some of us have been sold this, I, I don't know what it is. We've been sold this, this false gospel in a way, or at least a limited gospel. And that is this. Get saved and go to heaven. That, that's what you were told. Get saved, go to heaven. So you go to church and you sign a card or you say a magical prayer or something. And forgive my sarcasm. And, you know, you sign it and then you go back to your life. You go back to your life and you wonder, is that it? I mean, I got fire insurance or whatever, but now I just go back to my life. and I mean, I got trouble. You know, I don't know what, you know what? And then we get on in life and we're like, what is my purpose? I don't know why I'm here. Well, it's not, you know, it's not get saved and wait. I mean, it's get saved and go. Get saved and do as the Father sent me, I send you. There is purpose and there's peace in knowing your purpose with Christ. I mean, you're not just wasting time waiting. Well, I wish Jesus would come back. Ooh, you know, Forget about it. Forget about it. Every Easter, oh, I'm reminded. Yeah, that he said he'd come back. I don't know. Go back to your life again. No, 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 no. The reason that he has not returned with his kingdom fully to this earth is there is stuff to do. And you are to do it. Your art, your music, your gifts. The things that you love to do, you love to build businesses and you love to work with people. All of that is meant to be redeemed and used as the purposes of Christ, every bit of it. Some of you just love to paint, you love to write music, you love to help people. Each part of that is a purpose of God in your life. And as you hear Jesus say that to you, as he said it to the disciples, as the Father sent me, I'm sending you then you go into your world with the purpose of Christ. There is great peace in knowing that God has called you to his purposes. It is not get saved and wait or even hold the fort, you know, until he comes. No, it is get saved and go with the good news. Go with the gifts that he has given you. Go with the happiness and the joy that the resurrection brings. Go and do what you were created to do with the happiness and the glory of a resurrected Christ. To a world that he died for. It is your pleasure. It is your honor. And it is a joy and an adventure to say yes God. All right. I know I like to play music. How does it fit in, God? Show me how that fits in. I love, I love to work with people. I love to help children. How does that fit in? How, God? And there is great peace in living your life. And then one day, looking back on it and going, I knew the purpose. I knew my purpose. It was submitted to Christ. And there is such peace in my life now as I wait to see Him face to face. The resurrection